Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. We start with a story we've been following all week. Crews battling the Mosquito Fire in the Sierra foothills are expecting a major change in weather that could bring both good and bad news. Here's Jonathan Pangburn of Cal Fire. Starting Saturday, we're going to have a stronger wind system, but increased humidities and lower temperatures, it's going to get much colder as the system comes in from the Gulf of Alaska and really changes the system for us here. Somewhere around Saturday night to Sunday morning, we should be seeing uh, some precipitation, some measurable wetting rains uh, through Tuesday, possibly into Wednesday period. The winds will create a challenge. Flying embers could cause the fire to spread, but the wet weather will partially help with the blaze's raw fuel, dry brush. Firefighting efforts were hampered for a short time on Thursday by an unmanned drone over the blaze. That forced crews to suspend all aerial operations. The Mosquito Fire has burned more than 67,000 acres so far and remains 20% contained and thousands of people remain under mandatory evacuation orders. Let's turn now to labor and health. Some 2,000 Kaiser Permanente mental health care professionals are a month into a strike. This week, negotiations between labor and management have broken down. KQD's Sarah Hosseini reports. The therapist union says talks halted after Kaiser refused to consider proposals to increase staffing and patients' access to care. The clinicians have been without a contract for nearly a year. They say they're fighting for more time for indirect patient services, and they want to strategically pace initial intakes to help ensure timely follow-ups with patients as required by a new state law. In a statement, Kaiser said the two sides have reached agreement on wages, among other improvements, but that patients can't afford the union's, quote, aggressive proposal to decrease time spent with them. For the California Report, I'm Sarah Hosseini. In other news, because of a new state law, San Francisco's Superior Court has eliminated about $50 million in debt due to late fees for things like traffic tickets. KQED's Farida Javala Romero reports. AB 199 forgave hundreds of millions of dollars statewide in outstanding debt as of July 1st for civil assessments that were up to $300 a pop. That's a huge relief, especially for low-income Californians and people of color who are more likely to get pulled over for driving offenses, says Ann Stuldrer. She directs the Financial Justice Project at the San Francisco Treasurer's Office. To have, you know, a couple hundred dollars of debt relieved can really make the difference in someone being able to pay their rent, pay their bills. 
Going forward, the new law also caps civil assessments at $100. For the California Report, I'm Farida Javala Romero. In legislative news, Governor Gavin Newsom has vetoed a bill that would have significantly lowered what California families pay for state-subsidized child care. KQED's Amanda Stupai has more. AB 92 would have capped the amount low-income families pay at 1% of their monthly income. California's poorest families would have paid nothing. In his veto, Newsom noted that daycare fees are currently suspended through June 2023. But advocates say a permanent change is needed. Parents are really, really struggling. And ultimately what happens is the poor providers will oftentimes kind of say to them, well, pay us when you can. And that's not fair to the provider because ultimately we know we're not going to get the funds. That's Nancy Harvey, owner and director of Lil Nancy's Primary Schoolhouse in West Oakland. Advocates say that vetoing the bill, which passed with wide bipartisan support, is a missed opportunity. For the California Report, I'm Amanda Stupai. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. In Los Angeles, two teenagers have been arrested after a female student died from an apparent fentanyl overdose at a high school in Hollywood this week. L.A. Police Chief Michael Moore says law enforcement believes one of the suspects, a 15-year-old boy, sold pills that were likely laced with a synthetic opioid to two 15-year-old girls on the Berenstein High School campus. One of the victims was found dead in a campus bathroom Tuesday night. The other remains hospitalized. Chief Moore says a larger drug ring is responsible. Our work does not stop because these two individuals, 15 and 16 years of age, are simply transferring and soldiering, if you will, this this distribution. There is a drug organization behind this. And Chief Moore says the other suspect allegedly sold pills at Lexington Park a few blocks from Bernstein High. L.A. Unified Superintendent Alberto Carvajo says this tragedy has rocked the district. Every time a child dies, particularly as a result of a heinous, murderous act, the fabric of our community 
is destroyed. One child, one soul at a time. So it's not acceptable. Now nationally, the CDC reports that in 2021, there were 71,000 drug overdose deaths in the U.S. linked to synthetic opioids like fentanyl. That's more than any other drug. With a nationwide rail strike now averted, the Port of Los Angeles is shifting its attention to the movement of cargo ahead of the fall and winter holiday shopping season. As KCRW's Megan Jamerson reports, much of that cargo is already at the port. Cargo volume was 15% lower in August, and a similar slowdown is expected in September. The Port of Los Angeles Executive Director Gene Soroka says this is partly because some cargo was diverted to ports on the East and Gulf Coast in anticipation of West Coast labor contract negotiations. But to keep things in perspective, even with this projected softer volume in the back half of the year, the Port of Los Angeles is headed toward the second busiest year in our history. And with a tentative labor agreement reached with rail workers, the port says it will work on clearing a backlog of boxes currently waiting for space on trains. The volume of cargo moved by rail is up sixfold since February. For the California Report, I'm Megan Jamerson in Los Angeles. Now a story about an adorable and important California newborn. An energetic new rhino calf at the San Diego Zoo Safari Park represents another step in the effort to save a related rhino species that's gone nearly extinct. In San Diego, KPBS environment reporter Eric Anderson has more. The baby rhino begins the day leading mom Livia around the closed-off rhino habitat on the eastern side of the park. Yeah, he is a bundle of energy, which is all typical rhino-calf behaviors. Wildlife care specialist Johnny Capiro is accustomed to watching the young animals zoom around the enclosure, usually with mom lumbering close behind. He's really playful and confident. And while the calf is cute and attracting attention, researchers are celebrating the birth because it's the first for mom Livia. She now joins two other southern white rhino females at the park out of a herd of six, that have proven they can give birth and care for offspring. Barbara Durant is the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance's Director of Reproductive Services. She says the six females were brought here in 2015 to teach researchers about rhino reproduction. We knew vaguely what the rhino cycle was like from the animals that were breeding here in our field habitats, but we didn't know the details. That's critical because these six females could one day be surrogate moms to the closely related northern white rhino. That species is on the precipice of extinction thanks to war and poaching. Surrogates could be a lifeline to keep the northern whites from going extinct. That goal is a self-sustaining herd of northern white rhinos that we can reintroduce into native habitat. San Diego researchers hope to do that by implanting an embryo of a northern white rhino into one of the proven moms. The Wildlife Alliance's Carla Young is one of the researchers pioneering the techniques. We can produce northern white rhino embryos with a southern white rhino um, host oocyte. I just hope in the near future we could do an embryo transfer and figure out um, our technique to, to do this. But challenges remain. Barbara Durant says researchers want proof of concept in the field with southern white rhinos before they tap their limited supply of northern white cells. But creating the embryo is only half the battle. There's never been a successful embryo transfer in any rhino species. Durant says there has been steady incremental progress. Two females in San Diego did get pregnant from artificial insemination. 
But Durant says the clock is ticking. The northern white rhino is so close to extinction now that there's a very real possibility that before we have a northern white rhino calf, that both of these females will be gone. The work being done with southern and northern white rhinos in San Diego could prove invaluable to other species, like the Sumatran rhino, which only has a population of about 60 animals. For the California Report, I'm Eric Anderson in San Diego. And finally, a preview of what's on our sister show, the California Report's weekly magazine. This year, the U.S. Mint is releasing five new quarters with images of trailblazing American women. One of them will feature Anna Mae Wong. She was Hollywood's first Chinese-American movie star and now the only Asian-American to appear on U.S. currency. Magazine host Sasha Koka tells us about the life and legacy of the pioneering actress. That's Anna Mae Wong in the 1938 film When You Were Born. She plays an astrologer helping detectives crack a murder case. Look at that reporter we were talking to. He's always trying to be in two places at the same time. Anna Mae Wong was born in Los Angeles in 1905. A third-generation Chinese-American, she grew up helping out at her dad's laundromat on North Figueroa Street. As the movie business began to take off in Hollywood, she would skip school to visit film sets, and then she would come home and mimic what she saw the actors doing. Eventually, she got her first role in silent films and then in talkies. I think I'll do the Chinese poem. A Chinese poem? You know, the one that goes like this? That's a clip of Anna Mae Wong in the short film called Hollywood Parade that came out in 1934. When she spoke English, she actually didn't speak English with a stereotyped Chinese accent. She spoke it like she would as a Chinese-American who was born and raised, you know, in Los Angeles. That's Nancy Wong Yoon, author of Real Inequality, Hollywood Actors and Racism. She says Anna Mae Wong faced a lot of obstacles in her career, having to play stereotyped roles, losing out on parts, and earning far less than her white counterparts. But she also blazed a trail for Asian American actors in Hollywood by persevering in the industry. She was actually able to essentially say that she was putting on this Chineseness as an act. But I think that she really did leverage it in order to build a career and, and still, I think, uh, perform it with dignity. You can learn more about the life and career of Anna Mae Wong on this week's California Report magazine. You can listen to it on some public radio stations or get the magazine's podcast. And you can get the podcast for this, The Daily Show, as well. Support for the California Report comes from the James Irvine Foundation committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Learn more at Irvine.org. Hint. Fruit-infused water in over 25 flavors like watermelon, pineapple, and blackberry. No sweeteners, no calories, in stores or delivered from drinkhint.com. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute. Coming this fall, the launch of research vessel Falcor 2. 
advancing the frontiers of ocean science and exploration, on the web at schmidocean.org. And that's the California Report for Friday, September 16th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. Our engineers are Katie McMurrin, Danny Bringer, Chris Hoff, Jim Bennett, and Seal Muller. Our producers are Amanda Stupai and Keith Mizuguchi. Our senior editor is Angela Corral. Our interim director of news is Key Sung. Our vice president of news is Ethan Tobin Lindsay. And our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. I'm your host, Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening, and have a great day and weekend. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get The Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hi there, I'm Randa Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast.